Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome. Faith Works Live. Here's your host, Rebecca Haney. It's a joy to be with you here on Faith Works Live. This is like my absolute favorite thing uh, to talk about. Today, we get to talk about life. So that's I'm super pumped about that. Uh, we talk about life, liberty, uh, and uh, how to live out our faith in this crazy old, chaotic, redefined, and mixed up world. And I'm glad you're along for the ride. Rebecca is my name. And uh, on I'm not the important one because on our line today uh, is a lady that I have the great joy of uh, introducing to you all. I know OG listeners are going to know the name Melissa Odin. Um, you probably know that she is a uh, wife and mom, an influencer. I love to use that word. I'm not. I, I'm not an influencer. <laughs> My kids remind me of that every single day. Uh, but uh, she is all, I, she's so many things. She's fashionable. She's a speaker. She's a writer, an author, um, an advocate for life. And I think most people probably know um, a particular part of her story best. She is an abortion survivor, and she uses her voice to speak out on behalf of moms and babies in this area of life, of the tiny little children that need and deserve protection. They have the right to live as well, and she can tell that through her personal testimony, too. Melissa, it's a joy to have you with us. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, I'll take influencer, but I'll be honest, I, I know I can do better. I'm a, I feel like I'm a, a great influencer when it comes to speaking, but on social media, it's a struggle. That shows Different. my age. I'll just put it out there. <laughs> Well, it's a fight. It's a daily fight, but that's our cross to bear in this 21st century world. Amen. Right there with you. <laughs> well, and since I mentioned that, I'm sure that's probably like right off the top when people ask you, hi, who are you? What do you do? You're introducing yourself. You're, you know, just you've got this part of who you are and you're living it out loud on your sleeve. It's who you are. Um, but that's probably a conversation that a lot of people are inexperienced with having to talk about life. And this is something that you're a pro at doing. So how do you introduce yourself when you're meeting someone, you know, maybe it's uh, you're sitting next to them on the airplane. How does those how do those conversations go? Yeah, as you can imagine, being uh, an influencer in this area, I'm on lots of planes, trains, automobiles, right? And uh, yeah, that's the inevitable big question, business or pleasure. And I kind of go, both? Yeah. And so then that piques people's curiosity. And there's really no safe lane because people, if they hear you say, well, I, I do a lot of public speaking. 
oh my gosh, I would love to do that. What yeah. do you speak about? Or I'm a writer. Oh my gosh, I've always wanted to write a book. <laughs> right? <laughs> so um, yeah, I, depending on how I gauge people, because that's part of my history as well. I'm a clinical social worker. So I like to think I have a pretty firm radar on how people are perceiving me from the get-go. Mm-hmm. You know, I might start by simply saying, you know what, I'm the CEO of an organization that supports people who have experienced trauma. Hmm. Just to see, right, what the response might be. And yeah. of course, that tends to get a very positive response and more questions of, oh, gosh, so tell me more about that. Oh, okay, well, I'm the CEO of an organization that serves women who experience failed, stopped, or reversed abortions and mm-hmm. their babies who survive it. Uh, 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 right, crickets, crickets, <laughs> crickets. Um, and that's either, yes, a very positive response or a, they shut it down, they don't want to talk anymore. So yeah. that tends to be the conversation that I have. But if people are willing to go there with me, I help them understand in the next part of that conversation, because they'll say things like, wow, I didn't even know that that happened. Yeah, I wouldn't have known that either, except I'm one of the babies who survived my own abortion. Mm. Yeah. And that's hard, right? And when we're living our faith out loud and we're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to have a conversation with people in this day and age without Mm. fireworks. I hope that that's kind of an encouragement to people of we can set the stage, right? We give people a little bit of information, see what they can manage, and then decide how we walk out that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's wise. And there's a lot of discernment that needs to be at play here. And I I mean, I'll just say on the airways, I tend to be pretty bold about what I believe about life and what I think God's word says about life, because I do think that among the people of God, we should be convicted, we should be united on this, because I think that's the way that we turn the tide, that we present and, and finally achieve justice for every person made in God's image. So we, I think, have to have a clarion understanding of that. Um, but you're absolutely right that we need to use wisdom when we engage the world. And you can do so just by telling your story. Um, and I wonder if you'd be willing to give a little bit of, of that background um, for people who are just kind of tuning in and, and becoming accustomed to your story. You said you're bold about this, that you are an abortion survivor. What is that? How did you discover that? And what does that mean for you? Yeah, an abortion survivor is quite simply any baby who survives an attempt to abort them. So even in the last presidential debate, this became an issue. Yes. (laughs) Governor DeSantis spoke the name of a survivor named Penny from Florida, who is a survivor I know and care about. Hmm. Um, and, And the media blew up for two weeks, which is way longer than what that typically lasts. So that shows people that In certain circumstances, our culture will pay attention to abortion and abortion survivors. But historically, Rebecca, that's just not the case, though Mm -hmm. they tend to push that under the rug. But the reality is babies survived abortions long before Roe versus Wade. And that was Penny's story. She survived a coat hanger attempt to abort her. Mm. Wow. Babies like me survived during Roe versus Wade. And babies are surviving abortions still today, primarily by the abortion pill. And so that is my story. I survived 46 years ago. We'll get that little point out of the way. I'm 46. I'm cool with it. (laughs) Um, That's why I'm not great at social media because 
I'm of a particular age. Um, <laughs> experienced. That's what we are. We're experienced. Absolutely. But, you know, 46 years ago, my birth mother was forced to undergo a saline infusion abortion. Hmm. And it's so interesting to me because so many parts of her story and mine are the story of so many women and so many babies. And yet people who support abortion try to take certain parts of our experiences and say, well, that's not typical. That's not what I'm talking about. And I'm like, abortion is abortion is abortion. Okay. Like it is what it is. Yeah. So she was 19. She was a college student. She was not married to my birth father. And she was forced at the hands of her family to have that abortion. And this is when even people who are pro-life will go, well, you know, she could have run away. Listen, you don't want to know what happened to my birth mom. Parts of her story are hers to keep. But no woman should ever have to run away from a person to protect her child or herself. And this is my clarion call to both sides of the aisle to say, could we agree on this point, right? Mm. Could we not just mm. agree that women need support? Yes. Um, and that shows where people are at when they can't even come to the table with us and go, oh, you're right. Coercion and force happens and it's wrong. Like right. if you can't even come to the table, then you're telling us what you really support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was her story. So she was forced to undergo this abortion and that procedure was the most common one back in the 1970s. It involved injecting a toxic salt solution into the amniotic fluid surrounding me in the womb. And really that procedure should have lasted about three days. The child, if they were fortunate enough, would have their life ended within about 24 hours being poisoned mm -hmm. and scalded to death. And then the rest of that time was spent inducing labor. And so then the deceased child would be expelled from the womb. But we know through my medical records that the abortion lasted for five days. Wow. They just kept trying to induce my birth mom's labor and they weren't successful until the fifth day. And mm. as you can imagine, Rebecca, they, of course, thought the abortion would be successful. It was taking so much longer. I was being mm. poisoned and scalded for a longer period of time. And now I know that they even thought my birth mom might lose her life in the abortion because something going on that long, a late term abortion, obviously they were starting to think her life was in danger as well. Right. Also things we don't talk about in our culture. Yeah. Are those things, so I'm, I'm guessing you were pretty far along in, and she was pretty far along in, in the pregnancy with you. That's yeah. My medical records reflect that the abortion thought abortionist thought she was about 18 to 20 weeks. Okay. Um, but pregnancy centers experience this on a daily basis. And we do at the abortion survivors network as well, right? Women don't mm -hmm. often know how far along they are. Right. Again, when people try to pick this apart and they go, uh, late term abortions don't happen and, and pregnancy centers are like, um, hi, <laughs> right. we see women every day who have no idea um, how far along they are. And mm -hmm. so that's how many survivors like me are actually born because they're much further along than, than the abortionist thinks. And mm -hmm. now we live in this world of like essentially DIY abortion, oh. right, where women yeah. are taking the pill at home. They don't know how far along they are. And so like, I'm hearing the stories of women who are 31 weeks and having taken the pill at home, right? Boys can get the abortion pill at home. I mean, yeah. uh, we should be concerned. 
Yeah, not just absolutely. for babies, but for women. True. And there's a concerted effort too to uh, hide information from women in that situation. They, uh, again, Planned Parenthood has one option for women and they just shove abortion as a one size fits all plan and say, okay, if you're interested in knowing about the life health of your baby, that's one path. Women don't get the information that they deserve. That many times they are kept in the dark because there's the end goal in mind. If you want to terminate, then there's a concerted effort, I think, to dehumanize the child in the womb. They don't want women to hear the heartbeat. They don't want women to know the measurements, to know how how big their child is, because that allows you to imagine the child. I know when I was pregnant, they had to get several different ultrasounds to, to measure the different body parts of the baby and see the development so that you know kind of how far along you are and they can adjust the due date and all those things. That is purely information and is pure science, but it's also allowing you to know the truth of the humanity of your child and to identify with yourself as the mother of that child that is growing by God's grace is growing within you, even in less than ideal circumstances. And so I think that can inspire some compassion for people that say, yes, I'm pro-life. I don't know how somebody could do this to their baby. It's because many times there's a sense of, like you said, coercion happens far too often. There's pressure and women are lied to. The truth is suppressed in our own unrighteousness, as God's word says, and people that profit off of abortion don't want women to make another choice. Absolutely. Even, you know, I think about it every single day. I mean, when we are even putting up a survivor story on YouTube or, you know, a woman who talks about her stopping her abortion, Mm -hmm. it is flagged, right? YouTube puts that little box in there saying abortion, blah, blah. Come on. They try to explain it away. They try to say, that's not really what's going on. You shouldn't have bad feelings about this. Like, no, we're just actually telling you my experience. And that's, that's just truth, right? What about denying my truth? Can I, I can't speak my truth anymore. YouTube, come on, man. Yeah, it is. This is the world that we're living in. And I am so glad you bring up that point about, you know, the folks who are like, oh my goodness, how could a woman the question I tend to pose to people is in this day and age, how could a woman not, right? When the truth is hidden from them, when choices are taken away from them, when they are being fear mongered and lied to, Mm -hmm. this is the world that we're living in. Yeah. And it's presented in a political context. Often it's used as a, as a football and we're talking about real people's lives and your mere existence. And the fact that you use your voice powerfully, boldly, compassionately to just tell your story. I mean, that makes the humanity of the child involved undeniable. And I've always thought that if we can at least agree there are two patients involved in this process, it's not just a woman's right to choose. That's all how it's always presented is a woman has a right to her body. It should be between a woman and her doctor. Sure. But what about the baby? Who is speaking for the baby? There are two patients in that room and a doctor that refuses to recognize that is not going to give at bare minimum care doing no harm to either of those two patients. And that's a that's such a that's more beyond neglect. That's willful ignorance at the very least. And it's malfeasance Um, for for that woman. She's not receiving quality medical care if you won't acknowledge that she's pregnant with a baby like I have always wanted to ask those questions to abortion advocates. They say a woman's choice to terminate a pregnancy. Well, what is she pregnant with? Right. Well, pregnant with what? Like we all understand the simplicity, the the simple logic of this, but we choose to be ignorant when it suits the political purposes. And we cannot, I mean, just again, 
you telling your story silences, I would think, silences the lies of the enemy in this in a big way. Um, and there are many others that are like you as well that have this as a part of their story. And I, I mean, the the psychological impact of that, I'm sure, can be very great. I'm, I'm not even sure how you would start a conversation off to, after you discover this. Um, what What is that like? And, and when you talk to people with this as a part of their story, they realize that this, you know, whether they stumble on a medical record or they hear the, the, their parent talking about it. What is that like for a person? Yeah, every survivor's experience is very unique. Um, you know, our culture does has pushed this so far under the rug. Years ago, the CDC themselves were identifying 400 to 500 live births a year after failed abortions. Then every once in a while, you would read in some text where they were talking 600 to 700. Anytime the CDC wants to tell us those numbers, we could start to estimate that the number is significantly higher. Mm -hmm. um, the best numbers that we have ever gotten to was by looking at Canadian health data. And so when folks start to see numbers like 1,734 survivors in one reporting period, those numbers come from our team correlating the data out of Canada. And it's really the best data that exists. Okay. But when you see that number, right, and if you start, that's one year. So think about that over 49 and a half years of row, that becomes like a Super Bowl stadium full of survivors. What I want people to understand is that is also an underrepresentation because that doesn't include at-home attempts to abort, that doesn't include successful abortion pill reversals, that doesn't include the high number of chemical abortions that are happening and fail. Chemical abortions alone, Rebecca, have about a 1.1 to 7.9% failure rate. In addition to having significant complication rates, I mean, pregnancy centers are being inundated, emergency rooms with so many complications from chemical abortions. Um, so it is not what it is being portrayed as um, to women. So the number is high. And what we know is that through our work with survivors, so we've connected with almost 700 survivors, um, but that's the tip of the iceberg, right? And people go, uh -huh, if there's tens of thousands, then where are they? Yeah. They may not know their survivor. They may, the family keeps it a secret. They may not have the ability to communicate, right? They might have disabilities. Um, they may not know that there's anywhere they can reach out to. All of those things, right? And then some. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why you may not hear from them. But what I can tell you is that, you know, most survivors are raised in their biological family. Most tend to keep it a secret. Um, you know, I myself found out at 14 and it was absolutely devastating. Back then, I didn't know that there was anybody else like me. And for me, that is one of the most redemptive things my team and I get to do is come alongside families to help them know how and when and what to tell a child about surviving an abortion. Yeah. We don't have to be afraid of these conversations. Um, what I see is negative outcomes when we don't talk about it, when families keep secrets and everybody starts acting out, right? I always say it yeah. flies out sideways and everybody is like, what is going on around here? True. So when we name it and we deal with it, it can make sense, right? people can be more whole. Mm -hmm. um, so we see poor outcomes when people don't talk about it, when people live in shame, when there's no healing. Um, but I can tell you for survivors, we have this double whammy. So we have the trauma that happened in utero, 
right? We know that research tells us babies in the womb experience the stress of their mothers. Mm-hmm. So think about that. When a woman's in, in crisis and she's making an abortion decision, that baby in utero is experiencing all of that stress. And then we experience the stress of an abortion procedure. So for me, being poisoned and scalded for five days. And then for many of us, then we go through this traumatic birth. So I was laid aside for a brief period of time before I was rushed off to the NICU. Mm -hmm. Then I had a couple of months in the NICU and then I was placed for adoption, right? So I have like these building blocks of trauma that just keep getting higher and higher. And so that's what I always want people to understand is survivors are built with our switch being turned on, right? Our fight or flight. And uh, I'm grateful that God gave me this very particular personality that says you're a fighter. Mm, Every once in a while I try to run, but it doesn't work out very well for me. (laughs) So that's right. That's sort of the building blocks of who survivors are. So we have that and we can either have some preventative measures in our families, right? Some protective factors. That's what I had with my adoptive family. But a lot of folks have a lot more risk factors, right? So abuse and neglect in the family, lack of healing. And so that really impacts what that survivor's life might look like and even what that experience is like finding out their story. So even though I had this very particular heightened response um, and suffering when I first found out my story, I still had a lot of protective factors that ultimately led me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a lot of survivors, they don't have that. And so we see survivors even have abortions themselves um, because of those building blocks of trauma. And so then, right, that generational pattern repeats itself. So that's what we're in the business of doing is breaking that generational cycle. Uh, and that's so true, I think, for people, whether or not abortion's a part of their story or they know about it. Um, I mean, that any each and every one of us uh, understand the the toll that sin will take and the trauma mm-hmm. that is created, the pain that's created, and the fact that if we don't heal, if we don't experience that redemption, um, those cycles just repeat. And the enemy's real good at tempting us and making us seem like this is the best thing ever before you do it. And then after you do it, it's like, well, you're broken, you're bad, you're wrong. You know, there's nothing you can ever do to come back from that. And it's just it's those same old tricks that we keep falling for because they're so effective, but that uh, praise God for the benefit of redemption in Christ, that through that we don't have to be slaves to sin any longer, that we can be healed and whole, and that our whole generations can be completely transformed because of that, because of truly meeting Christ, because of meeting him and being redeemed by him, being reclaimed and renamed, so to speak. And uh, that is, there's just such a beauty in that. That of the worst that we can do, the worst that can be done to us, that Christ is more powerful than all of that, that he is victorious over that and in him so we so will we be. Melissa Odin is our excellent guest today. We're talking uh, about her, about her story, about standing up for life. Um, she is an abortion survivor, among many things. She's an abortion survivor. She's a speaker. She's an advocate for life. And she helps both women uh, and uh, babies in this vulnerable position, people that are like her, survivors of abortion. And just by telling her story, she sheds light on and and reveals the truth of what's happening in abortion and offers uh, vulnerable women a better way. And uh, we want to hear more about her, about how we can be advocates, effective advocates for life as well. You're listening to Faith Works Live.
To illustrate the power of peer pressure, Amazing Allen will attempt to do a quadruple backflip reverse somersault into this swimming pool while holding a goldfish bowl. Are you sure this is safe, guys? Absolutely, Allen. All the real divers do it. Well, shouldn't there be water in the pool? Just dive into the goldfish bowl by putting it out in front of you. Shouldn't I at least have a bigger fish bowl? That's the size everyone on the internet uses, Allen. Oh. And action! Uh, guys, this didn't work. Of course not, Alan. Was I supposed to learn something from this? Yes, we shouldn't let others pressure us into doing things we know we shouldn't do. But everyone likes me more. Right, guys? Uh, our focus should be on doing the right thing, Alan, not seeking the approval of others. There's gotta be a better way to make these points, guys. Another message from Lifeline Productions, the comic strip of radio at lifelinepro.com. When a woman faces an unplanned pregnancy, every possible emotion goes through her head. Where can she go for help and for hope? She can go to InterVisions. Here in our metro, we have two healthcare clinics where she will find hope and help. From free pregnancy testing and STD testing to free ultrasounds, InterVisions serves women and men with STDs who find themselves in vulnerable situations. They're completely free of charge because of generous donations from folks like you. And their medical clinics help their patients get all the information that they deserve that empowers them to make life-affirming decisions. That's what they do at InterVisions Healthcare Clinics right here in Des Moines. Learn more at intervisionshealthcare.org. That's intervisionshealthcare.org. And you can call 24 hours a day at 515-440-CARE. That's 515-440-2273. In today's world, security has never been more vital. And at FaithWorks Live, we're proud to partner with Veragard Security. It's a professional physical security service. And they're really raising the bar in security and private investigations. Whether you need a team of professional officers to protect what you have worked hard to build, or their mobile security units for multiple properties or large locations, from business or corporate properties to your home or neighborhood. Perhaps you've got an event coming up. They secure quality security coverage for events large and small because it's about peace of mind and protecting you, your family, your team, and your property. Settle for nothing less than the best when it comes to your security. You shouldn't have to compromise. When it comes to security, you can trust Veragard. Contact them today at veragard.us. That's V-A-R-A guard.us. For security service, you can trust Veragard. Hey, George, did you hear about Bob landing that big sale? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sorry, I got a meeting to go to. But did you hear what else happened to Bob? No. What? You didn't hear what happened to Bob? No, no, tell me. I thought you said you had a meeting. It's just a meeting with my boss. It can wait. He got caught stealing, didn't he? No. He was drinking on the job, right? You know those sales guys. No. Embezzling, insider trading. Come on, tell me. What? What? Why are you so interested in hearing this? You didn't have time to hear good news about Bob. That was boring. Now I want to know what happened. What? Because I'm egotistical and I want to hear bad things about other people to make me feel better about myself. Whoa, that was honest. Yeah, I shouldn't be that way. 
I wouldn't want others to talk about the bad things I've done. You know, Bob, gossip really isn't good. True. So what happened to Bob? Oh, he bought a new car with a bonus he got. You made me late to a meeting with my boss for that? Well, you insisted I tell you. Another message from Lifeline Productions, the comic strip of radio at lifelinepro.com. Hey, what's for dinner? If you're like me, I hear that 15 times a day. And fortunately, I have a plan. It's typically Onimus beef at our house. We are such big fans of Onimus beef at the Haney home because it's just great quality beef. There's no steroids or antibiotics. It's naturally raised butcher beef. They sell by the quarter, the half, or the whole, and they support your local meat lockers. So they can help you get it processed in a way that works for you. In this economy, it's good to have affordable options for your meat. And if you're willing to make a good investment in your nutrition for a healthy menu plan, I highly recommend Onimus Beef. Contact Dave and Mary Lynn at onimusbeef.com. They welcome your questions. They'll help get you on the schedule. They have locker dates coming up. Don't wait. Secure your locker date today. Go to onimusbeef.com. That's O-H-N-E-M-U-S beef.com. There's no better time than now to stand for life. And you can stand with Iowa's original pro-life organization, Pulse for Life. They're the longest standing nonprofit pro-life organization in Iowa, and they're dedicated to informing, educating, and inspiring a new generation to value the sanctity of all human life from fertilization until natural death. They serve at the state house. They educate in classrooms at events. They proudly serve on the coalition of pro-life leaders. They are on the front lines of the battle against this throwaway culture of death that we see all around us, and we are winning ground. Hearts and minds are changing, and the pro-life movement is continuing to grow. And you can be a part of the exciting things that are happening right here in our own backyard at pulseforlife.org and get your finger on the pro-life pulse. Sign up for their newsletter, find ways that you can make a difference, and how you can change hearts and minds with their pro-life apologetics course, pulseforlife.org. Living it up on Life Tuesday here on FaithWorks Live. Melissa Odin is our excellent guest. It's the first time I think she's been on uh, on on per in person on our show, but it's been too long. I feel like we're old friends already. Uh, she is an advocate for life. Part of her story is that she is an abortion survivor, and she was sharing some of that. If you missed that, go back and check out the podcast. Hit the rewind because you need to hear her um, her story in its full detail. And Melissa, I don't know. Do you, I didn't ask? Do you have um, physical uh, impact from the trauma that your body experienced during that time as a baby? You said you were um, in the NICU for some time time as well. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's right. Yeah, that's one of those questions, right? I can usually tick off about five questions people have about an abortion survivor. How does that happen? What does that do? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, common question. I... I was rushed off to the NICU. Uh, You know, my abortionist had written 18 to 20 weeks on my medical records, but um, I was rushed off weighing a little less than three pounds. So I was two pounds, 14 ounces. And that was when a neonatologist remarked I was probably 31 weeks. So Mm -hmm. there is that advanced gestation that that the abortionist didn't know about Um, and, you know, suffered from seizures. They thought I had a fatal heart defect because I was under so much distress, um, severe respiratory and liver problems. Um, But you know what? By the time I was like a year old, the doctors were talking to my parents that I was looking like I was healthy and on a pretty normal path. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though they thought I would suffer from from multiple disabilities, I have gone on to live a quote unquote um, healthy and normal life. Mm -hmm. I just... I have a funky little immune system like many survivors do. I've had shingles like, I don't know, 12, 13 times. I don't oh, count wow. anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's my one. Like, listen, if that's the worst it is for me, I can manage. Absolutely. Well, and it's, I, I hate to ask a common question. I don't want to leave an obvious door like hanging open. Um, but it's it's something that when you describe the process of what babies actually go through, and it's so, it's horrifying and it ought to scare all of us that this is being allowed. It can't be good for the woman involved as well. I mean, that you're literally operating against your body's purpose and design. And so not, we've talked about the psychological impact, a physical impact is also very dangerous. Um, if people remember our interview with Dr. Ingrid Scott, she went into detail about the different procedures. Um, and we just assume, hey, you know, like most of what the medical community tells us, it's safe and effective. Here, take these pills. Baby's gone. No problem. And that is, a, that's a horrible lie. That's a series of horrible lies to women. And it's not health care at all. Um, and so for women to have the the lack of support, the lack of, of medical information about their own bodies, about their baby, it's just all around, you know, ick, awful, not true, based on a lie, leading to death, no matter what. So as we, if I can flip the conversation then towards people that say, all right, I understand that this is bad, that this is against nature, that this is a, a moral crime, you know, all of these things that that would be true. How then can we be effective advocates for life. I know one of the the um, big efforts and part of the reason that we're talking at this specific time is that uh, September is now officially Abortion Survivors Month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a great time to have these conversations. It is. Yeah. We want the world to know that babies survive abortions. And so this is our first annual month that we're doing this. We will continue to do it every September. You know, obviously, if I had my way, like every month should be Baby Survive Abortions Awareness Month. Yes. Uh, until our culture gets it. But it's almost like, right, it's David versus Goliath. And so, but you know what? It We know who wins in the end. Mm-hmm. But this is a great opportunity, yes, for people to to get involved. That Really, the a one great way they can get involved right now is go to our website, abortionsurvivors.org. We are putting out a new um, video every week. Um, and we're going to be doing this even into October, where we are sharing the stories of a woman who stopped her abortion, the baby who survived it, um, a, a Christian family who took this mom in who had nowhere to stay, right? I mean, this is what the church needs to hear. Like, how do I help? 
Mm, be like Jana, okay? You'll know it when you hear her. Uh, we also are releasing the story of an adoptive mom of a 12-year-old who survived a late-term abortion at 28 weeks. Wow. Who's talking about how how we deal with this better, even in the adoption movement. So we all can learn more, right? I mean, no matter how long we think we've known the issue, and even for me, I learn something new nearly every single day. So listen to these videos, get educated, and then use that in your everyday conversations with people. Um, and then think about what that means in your daily life. For me, it's a starter of looking around your family and going, uh, do we have any business we need to tend to? Hmm. I talked about this at an event here recently. You know, I think we need to face the fact that even in churches, in families, we've had coercion and force that happens, okay? Yeah. We've had well-intentioned friends and family members who have sometimes either implicitly or explicitly been like, listen, in the circumstances you're in, there's only one choice. And I really feel like, Rebecca, until we face that as individuals and families and in churches, we're always going to be right trying to, to fight this uphill battle, but we've got to take care of our stuff first. Yeah. Absolutely. There was a, a lady that, I, a dear sister that I met when I was uh, doing a little bit of speaking, because I do that sometimes too. Not as much as you do, but uh, I'm learning. And uh, we went to the history of Planned Parenthood and we were going to some historically black congregations and we were talking about the racist roots of Margaret Sanger and her goals, um, like to eliminate the non-white and the non-ideal from the human population. She called them human weeds and that's where we get Planned Parenthood, just in a nutshell. So no, but knowledge is power. Um, but we were presenting the um, this this history, and one of the ladies in the Q and A time said, "But I've been sending girls down the street to where the Planned Parenthood was on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, um, the nearest one, just down the street." She said, "That's where we've been sending all these girls because they told me that's where they get help. That's where when girls get in trouble, that's what she's she's like. That's going on there. That's not going on there." There was this kind of like cognitive dissonance that for years she had, she personally sounded like she had been actively sending girls who are pregnant in that vulnerable position um, from her community and her, from her church down the street because they told her that's where girls get help. And so there's these, you know, not to call her out specifically, but that's just the lies that have been perpetrated for generations now. And I think there are both women and men that have been trapped by this. If it's part of your story, you seek to normalize it. It can't mm -hmm. really be wrong because it's legal, because it's here, because I've done it, because, you know, that's what they're telling me. It's it's just a right. It's not really a person. And we have this desire to make it right in our head, to justify it, to minimize it. And part of the vitriol that I like the most vitriolic people that I have seen when we're doing life chains, you know, prayer events and things like that are women that are probably about my mom's age that would have been in the original like Gloria Steinem and feminist hear me roar movements. And I am convinced that they are women that have had abortions themselves. They have been disturbed by it. They feel the pain about it and they don't believe that it should. It cannot be wrong. It right. cannot be wrong because then I have to acknowledge what's happened to me. I have to acknowledge the reality of and the humanity of my child. And so they fight so hard to maintain this, this lie about, you know, safe legal abortion as a woman's right because they they can't put their they can't allow it to not be because it's so personal to them. 
Oh, I yeah, don't know. 100%. I don't know if that fits your experience as well. No, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, it's so fascinating doing the work that we do because I, I've been called every name in the book, right? I mean, even when I've gone to testify before Congress and I've had fellow witnesses who are like, she should not be sitting here. She is not a part of this conversation. Like what happened to her was illegal. And I'm like, you're just telling me it's legal and you're fighting for it to be legal. Why is right. it? But, uh, 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 I'm so confused. <laughs> sure. And um, so, yeah, you often feel like you're in the twilight zone. But, and that's a response that I get from people sometimes, right? Well, they'll go, I'm not, I'm not talking about you. And I'm like, so what, what abortion are you talking about? The one mm-hmm. where the babies don't survive? I mean, is that, because I think that's it. Yeah. And that is a terrible thing to have to say, but when people are going to come at it that way, that's how I have to respond is so like, so you're talking about the abortions where the babies don't survive and you don't have to hear from them. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. Because that's, that's the message that we're receiving. And, you know, it has taken so much healing, right? Healing on my part to be able to withstand and lead an organization that does this work, but that is the most painful part for me because I want to shelter other survivors from going through that. I want to shelter moms who are brave enough to share their stories. And we shouldn't have to be shamed and silenced by our culture. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of any other population, honestly, Rebecca, who faces the kind of vitriol that we do because it's, we live in this day and time that says, believe all survivors, but what do we get? We get condemnation. Like, oh, they they must be making that up. They're part of the Republican-made machine to respect, to, you know, restrict women's rights. No, man, we're just real people who have been through really traumatic things who are trying to save people from being hurt by it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to mention, in your case, you are a woman. So what about your rights? <laughs> I don't want to answer that one. That's probably one of my favorite things to say, right? When they're like, you know, Uh, you are restricting women's rights. And I go, "Uh, hey, don't you think it's sort of weird that I I now have the right, right, supposed right as a woman to have an abortion, but without being born in the first place, I never would have had any other right. Mm -hmm. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, (laughs) Contradictory, honest face. Abomination, all those things. Uh, (laughs) uh, Melissa, I love your boldness. I love that you can also address it with a a certain amount of at least good humor, matter of factness. But we understand that, uh, and I love seeing this from Christian people that engage the culture very well and that exemplify that, is that we can still be people of good cheer and with the joy of the Lord as our strength, but still point out, you know what, that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, On its face, like, don't you notice the logical inconsistency here? Let's, Let's begin from a place of, truth <laughs> that helps all of us and to admit hey there's some things that i don't know like they're i'll have conversations with people that are like uh, they're they're very nice people but they're maybe more non-confrontational and they're concerned about launching into these discussions because maybe they'll end up in a gotcha moment they won't know what to say and and they don't want to you know do they don't want to show poorly for what they believe. And so they tend to edge around this. I've even seen this on the campaign trail for some very high profile people that are very avoidant about this issue. Um, last presidential, because we're in Iowa, so we're tripping over presidential candidates at this point. And uh, the last town hall that I went to, there were a couple of people who spoke boldly, you know, agree or disagree. They were very clear. But I didn't hear a lot of that bold conversation that you used to hear. You used to boldly hear Republican candidates, especially, proclaim life begins at conception 
abortion, 100% pro-life, you know, we're out to protect the babies. And now it's a much more equivocating conversation. There are people who are edging around, you know, this week versus that week of development. And it's it's strategic and it's not a, as much about that big principle. So that's an observation as to where we are right now. And I think that's what America is waiting for is this bold leadership. I know I certainly am. I want to hear the people that agree with God, with my heart, with science, with reality that say every single human life is worthy of protection. And we're in America and life is the fundamental inherent right from God. Without that, Ronald Reagan said, you don't have any of the other ones, as he pointed out. Rebecca so, for 2024. <laughs> oh, Sign me up. Sign me up. I love my family too much to run for all of this. <laughs> I'll say that. But I love my country and we need to have that kind of bold leadership. And when you have, I mean, just name and names. Donald Trump has been um, has been backpedaling on this. He said horrible things about the heartbeat bill, for example. I mean, you can like him for whatever reason, but that was a horrible thing to say. That is not strong pro-life leadership. If you have someone that's that is convinced that life begins at conception, that we all deserve the right to life, then you have to speak it out. We're looking for that bold leadership. Um, and then you can talk about what strategy is most effective to achieve that. But you can't be at odds with the principle itself. You can't come to the table and compromise around people who say that you know abortion should be on demand, no restrictions whatsoever, because that is what the other side says. That's openly what Kamala Harris, again, affirming that that there should be no restrictions on abortion, that we're going to codify Roe v. Wade. We're going to make sure that, you know, every single, there's no no limitations on that. Jen Psaki making that very clear, just like all of these high profile um, leaders, quote unquote, they're very clear. And so we, I think, need to be just as clear. And the people that want to lead us should be extra clear about what they're going to do to defend those inherent rights. Sorry, that was my soapbox moment, um, but it's on, it's on my brain. And so I guess as we're making these these discuss, like we should be unafraid to approach this, to have these conversations. The one thing that we can do, I think, is talk with our neighbors and share our own personal stories. Why are you pro-life? Why do you believe that this is important? And I... I've seen that go a few different ways, right? It's not always going to be sunshine and roses. Sometimes it goes a little sideways. Um, but I'd love to get your take because you're so effective at this um, about ways that we can do that, again, in compassion, in love, but with clarity. We're not equivocating and we're not compromising on the value of life. I don't believe that there are times when pro-lifers should be like, yeah, there's some groups of people that just aren't worthy of life because we do that all the time. And it's ridiculous. I think that fundamental, that's just like, it cuts us off at the knees. I think we begin with the principle that every single child, every single little boy and little girl is a human made in the image of God and worthy of life, worthy of protecting. But where do we go from there? And how do these, how can these conversations look practically? Yeah. And it's tough, right? Because we, we get led to the weeds very easily by people, right? Yep. Um, and that's where we see on the political side of things, like everybody's in the weeds and you're like, Hey, could we could we come back to the greens here, folks? Yes. Um, but that's how how easy it can be to get strayed from the talking point. And that's where I see people get really uncomfortable, right? They'll go, but, but what about the hard cases? Well, yeah. guess what? If you are consistent in your beliefs, just like you're talking about, Rebecca, then um, somebody bringing up the hard cases is just simply a path that they're wanting to walk you on right? You have that consistent life belief. It leads where whatever talking point somebody takes you on. So mm -hmm. that's where I would say you don't have to be afraid of 
those hard questions or the hard cases when you are consistent in your beliefs and you're you're grounded in truth. And, you know, for me, I mean, that's probably one of my favorite memories about testifying before Congress. It was um, like 2015 and we were testifying about why Planned Parenthood should be defunded. Mm -hmm. They went down the line, right? And they were, they were trying to put us in the weeds and they were going down the list of all of the pro-life witnesses. Do you believe in the death penalty? Every single one of them said yes, except for me. Hmm. And the, and all the Democrats went, whoa. And they walked away from me, right? They didn't ask me anything else because they couldn't trap me in that weed because I was consistent in that belief. Now, I know that's a tough one for people. Mm-hmm. But for me, that is a clear case of like, I am consistent in that belief and it is what it is. But I think what we have to also remember is like, first of all, we do that examination and understand the importance for the principle and the consistency in belief mm-hmm. and and know what our triggers are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we do, everybody has their trigger based on something in their life. And so they're like, uh, sure. I definitely don't want them to ask me about that. Yeah. So we got to work on that and figure that out. But I think the, uh, the thing I want people to understand is it is okay to end a conversation to say, we disagree on this and we're going to disagree on this. Hmm. All right. Like it is okay to walk away from a conversation saying that it doesn't mean you aren't Christian, right? It doesn't mean you aren't loving. It means that you've been honest about your beliefs and it is what it is. And I think what I want people to understand as well, like, it's not usually a one and done, folks. We don't have a conversation and walk away going cha-ching, right? Conversion, or right. I dropped a comment on social media. I'm pretty sure this, right? I got one. I fixed no, it. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, I hate to be the bearer of bad news or good news, whatever. Yeah. It, research tells us it takes like seven conversations with someone you have a connection with. Hmm for a conversion to happen. So we need to invest in these conversations and these touch points with people in order to help them learn and grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And figuring out what, what their heart is. So listening to, it can be difficult if it's just somebody that's, you know, tangentially connected with you that decides to spit epithets at you from, you know, your Instagram page for no reason. Uh, <laughs> Cause that's how some people spend their Thursdays. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, so it's difficult to get deep enough in a Twitter th- or sorry, X thread, whatever we're calling it um, to, to really have that life impact. But if you're able to have a conversation with someone that's ongoing, that's more personal and you can hear why it is they're so invested and what it is about their story. What's the personal element to that? Um, I think lots of times that can be very effective. And I also think, like I said, maybe I mentioned uh, sharing your own story is very important. Yeah. If you have, whether or not you have abortion as part of your past, um, I had, I w- was attending some political events because that's what I do with my free time. Um, and my little baby was small enough. And for, I think my husband was sick or something. So I, I had to take her with me um, to this political event. So I'm, I'm covering her, covering the events and the candidates with uh, a front carrier and my little four month old, I think she was at the time. And there were protesters outside of this particular event. And one of them had a sign that said abortion or uh, sorry, Republicans don't care about women. And I, so I walked up to the lady that was holding it and I decided to have a conversation, you know, a cordial conversation with her. And she was describing why it was that, you know, why does your sign say that? I think is how I opened the conversation. 
And she was talking about, um, you know, that they just want to trap women into beating baby making machines. And I pointed down at my baby and I'm like, but I love her and I'm, I'm a woman and I care about women and I care about my daughter and I'm so glad she's here. And so it was just one of those things where literally between us was the child involved. And so the like the metaphor in the movie version of this, like it's going to be. <laughs> A really powerful metaphor. And we got to the point where I, she said, well, I'm a mom too. And I said, well, you know, how, how is it that we're having this discussion? Like, if you're a mom, you love your kids. I'm a mom. I love my kids. We want every mom to, to love and, and be supportive so that she can be the powerful mom that she's going to be. We just believe that the kids should be here. We believe in the life of the child and the life of the mom. And she's like, well, I guess then I am pro-life and pro-choice. And uh, I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting. And and then the circumstances shifted and and she had to you know go somewhere else with her sign. And I just thought if we're able to engage with people, the fact that, um, you know, we recognize the humanity of everybody that's involved of of the the women that are at stake here, but also the people that are protesting on the other side. We recognize them as being made in the image of God. And the fact that people can change their minds. People can have transformation. And there are people that have been firmly committed uh, you know, against our our side, against our cause. And then something opens up their eyes. And I think lots of times that is it's new information. It's maybe being presented in a loving way. It's challenging them and then allowing them to to continue to think about that and praying for that person too, because God can do things that God can do anything. Oh yeah. I love that you mentioned that. I, you know, some of my best friends are former abortionists or clinic workers. Wow. Yeah. You know, um, I, and I said that to a bunch of college students over the summer, I I was listening to a former abortionist speak and I gave him a hug and I said, mm-hmm. you know, how many of you ever seen a baby who survived an abortion hug a former abortionist? Wow. And, and it is, it is about seeing that humanity, but in the midst of it, right, being willing to love them enough to speak the truth, love them enough to have difficult conversations and feel uncomfortable. Like when you were speaking to that woman, that was probably not the most yeah. comfortable conversation you've ever had, Right. <laughs> but it wasn't for her either. And it is about building a bridge, right? Finding that common ground, being curious, right? Sometimes I think when I... My husband would probably say sometimes when I sound sassy to him, I am right. I know I'll just own it. Um, I'm approaching things with a sense of curiosity, right? Help me understand. Tell me more about. And yes, based on the circumstances, it might be a little bit sassy. But at the same time, it is this curiosity, right? Of like, wow, your sign says all Republicans and I'm a Republican. So that can't Mm -hmm. be all right. Tell me more about why you believe that. Um, And at the end of the day, when we have those conversations, I would say most of the time we find more common ground than we ever expected to. And even people who come at me who perceive themselves to be pro-choice and have X, Y, and Z argument and like, you don't know this, you don't know that. And I go, hey, can I tell you more about my experience as a wife and a mom? Mm -hmm. And at the end, they're like, oh my gosh, Uh, okay. So why wouldn't we not allow that opportunity to happen for them and for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think, what the example we see from Jesus. I think we do see him meeting the whole person. We see him understanding, you know, knowing them better than they know themselves. He continually asks them questions. 
Right. And I find that so fascinating as an approach. I'm sure books of whole books have been written um, by very smart people about it. But I just, you know, am understanding that Jesus knew knows these people. He mm-hmm. absolutely, you know, he knows the number of hairs on their head. He could have given them a number if they asked, but he asks them questions so that he can allow them the understanding, the dignity, the realization to know who who they are and who he is in relationship to them. To really be in relationship, I think you have to approach it with that curiosity. I'm also going to use that line from now on. I'm not sassy. I'm just curious. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm taking an eager interest in what you're about to say. <laughs> Oh, Melissa, it's been a joy to have you with us. I'm having such a blast. Um, You need to come back on the show like 99 more times. I would love it. Anytime. When you get on the 2024 ticket, count me in. Well, who do you think is going to be my VP? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) It's already settled. Already set in stone, y'all. Got it, got it, got it. Oh, love it. Thank you for all that you do, for your bold voice, for sharing your story, for being um, just a portrait of redemption of, you know, all the many things that you are and uh, put the, all that on your business card. And uh, I I know that anytime that anyone who's listening to this has the opportunity to meet you in person, to attend an event um, where, where you are, y'all better take it because this lady's awesome. Um, follow her on socials as well for that bright spot of truth and light. Um, and again, her her last name is spelled O-H-D-E-N for everybody listening. I'll also link to it in the podcast notes down below too. Um, um, Melissa, thank you for who you are and all you do. Thank you so much. God bless. And if you're interested in standing for life, I guess that's like the call to action for today. Not that you need homework from me, but... Just in case, if you have something to do, um, standing up for life, there's, I think there's some really easy practical ways that we've just heard. You heard it here, folks. Um, Share your story. Be consistent. Love the person. Pray for the person you're talking to. And live it out in our own lives. Repent where necessary, because that's what being a Christian is all about, repenting and being corrected by our loving Father, Um, being motivated by love, by not just truth, but also love and letting the spirit guide those conversations as well. I think that has the power to transform an entire nation as well as each of us. And until next time, you've been listening to Faith Works Live, where we have a mission to love God, to serve people, and to live free. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.